The Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. For you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. <clears throat> Thank, you. Thank you. I love that scripture, and I appreciate each week those of you who take the time like Carla Ann did to read it to us so we can hear the whole psalm and think about it over and over again. And part of what, if I can just be honest, like, Part of what happens for me is I hear you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and I don't really get it. And like I thought about it this week, and then yesterday I realized, like, I don't get it. And then this morning, Angela was talking about what she's going to be teaching upstairs and how she was still figuring out some pieces of it. And I'm like, yeah, I'm still figuring out some pieces of it because I don't have enemies. Like, if I'm praying to God, I'm not saying, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, because I get along pretty well with my neighbors and, like, other drivers and people at the grocery store. Like, I have to go get milk later. Like, I just, I'm not really tracking with the whole enemies thing, because life's pretty civilized. I'm guessing that David was, you know, thinking about the Philistines or thinking about Saul, who was king, and Saul was real angry at David, or, or maybe David had other enemies in mind. I don't know, but... I'm just putting it out there. Some of you might have plenty of enemies. <laughs> Maybe you've got plenty of enemies, and you're going, oh, I know all of mine. One, two, three, four. There's the Monday enemy, the Tuesday enemy, the, the nighttime enemy, the daytime enemy. You know, you've got, Maybe you've got them all really clear. But in my mind, it's just a little hard to get my head around enemies. At the same time, it's not hard for me to get my head around the table because we just recognized the table, which Christ instituted. Which Christ said, this is the table, I welcome you to it. This is my body given for you. This is my blood shed for you. That's his table in the presence of his enemies. Which were the spiritual, the spiritual powers, the principalities, forces of wickedness, evil, Satan, fallen angels. All battling against the kingdom of God. And he says, I've made a table. I have made a table. Come, sit at my table. Eat and drink and have eternal life. So when Carla Ann is reading, you've prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and I'm getting confused about what are enemies, I'm reminded at the same time, the table is what Christ has done for us. And that table is a little bit of what I want to study this morning, get our head around this table, because it doesn't seem like what I would think. If I could remember who my enemies are, I would think, well, I'm going to do battle with those enemies. You know, I'm going to go home and like, battle with them or go to the grocery store and battle with them or drive down Route 28 and battle with them. And I'm glad I don't really have to live like that, but I want to explore what's the table all about this morning. Before I do that, I'll tell you a little story. There's a woman named Lillian Trasher. People called her Mama Lillian. Lillian Trasher started an orphanage in Egypt in the early 1900s. And she cared for more than 10,000 orphans in her lifetime. She stayed in Egypt Leading, the, leading and operating this orphanage for children in Egypt for decades, 10,000 orphans in her life. When World War II started to happen, inflation became intense, and it became very expensive for the orphanage to operate. They had a difficult time getting food for the kids. They had a difficult time getting clothes for the kids. They had all kinds of challenges because of inflation and World War II and rations going around and everything like that. At one point during that time frame, kids were living on half a cup of lentils a day. I don't eat a lot of lentils in my life, so I had to look up and sort of visualize what's half a cup of lentils. Well, it's about 200 calories a day. Now, when I read my milk jug at the grocery store later on, it says 2,000 calories a day is what like the adult needs. So we'll give them the benefit. They don't need 2,000 maybe if you're a child. But then I looked up. I was like, well, I started getting into the calories thing. And so I was like, well, what else is 200 calories? Well, a Snickers bar a normal size Snickers bar, not the gigantic ones, all right, and not the little diet Snickers, but the normal Snicker bar is 250 calories. So one Snickers bar is more than what these kids had to live on each day. And it was 
lentils, which don't exactly taste as good as a Snickers bar. So this is what they're living with. So one night at supper, Mama Lillian says to all the orphans, all the people who work there, everybody that knew anything about the orphanage, she, she calls them all in and she says, things are hard. We're going to pray. We're going to not eat. We're going to not go to school. We're not going to do the chores and the jobs for the adults of the orphanage. We're not doing anything. We're just going to pray and ask God to help us because that's the, that's the moment we're in. So everything stops for 24 hours just to pray. And it, it got me thinking, what does God provide during life's troubles? During these kind of moments like they have at this orphanage, what does God provide then? And how does that connect with David saying, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies? Two weeks ago, we talked about walking through the valley of the shadow of death, that the person who has the good shepherd is on a righteous path. They're guided by God, they're led by God, and then they find themselves in a dark valley, walking through the valley of the shadow of death, Scripture says. And then last week, Steve Hawley preached, and he said, there's a God who sees people in their hard moments, moments like Hagar was in, and God comes to her, and, and, and she says, God sees me. She has this interaction with God and, and realizes he sees me. What I realize about verse 5 as we keep going is that the darkness doesn't end. David is still saying, I'm on this righteous path, but there's no indication at the end of verse 4, oh, darkness is over. Verse 5, back to the good stuff. Seems like the darkness continues, the enemies continues. And I think Psalm 23.5 and Psalm 23.6, basically, which we'll do verse 6 next week, Lord willing. But verse 5, what does God provide during life's troubles? I think the first answer is in verse 5. The second answer will be next week. But the first answer is that I think Christ is the good shepherd hyphen chef. He's like the shepherd chef who's like, I made a table for you. I'm not just guiding you and leading you and protecting you, but I went ahead and made a table for you. I'm the good shepherd slash chef. And I'm saying, come dine with me. All of you know, of course, you surely have realized that I'm from Tennessee by this point. And so if you're not, newsflash, I talk with a southern accent. And there's this restaurant in East Tennessee called Copper Cellar. It's in Knoxville, Tennessee. So, you know. Nick Prisco should go there. If you're watching, Nick, you should go there sometime. Next time you talk to Nick, tell him Copper Cellar. So Copper Cellar, I don't know if they still do it, but on Wednesdays, they had half-price burgers. And this is not like Wendy's, nothing against the, you know, chain burgers. They're good. I eat those too. But Copper Cellar is like the place to get like a burger. And they did like delicious burgers before delicious burgers were like a thing. And so we'd go in only on Wednesdays, half-price. And I could have saved the money, but instead I would just order two. And my friend Austin and my friend Warren, we would go there every Wednesday, and we went so often, and we sat in the same table for so many weeks that the server started to know us. And we went at the same time, and pretty soon the server just kind of knew, like, oh, the guys will be here in a bit. So our burgers were ready before we got there because she knew what I wanted. She knew what Austin wanted. She knew what Warren wanted. She knew it was Wednesday at 12 o'clock. They're coming in. So we'd just come in and she'd say, here's the drink, which is the same every week because I'm a predictable sort of person. And she'd go, it'll be out in a second. And sure enough, three minutes later, because she had the forethought at 1150 or 1145 or whatever, she had the forethought to put the order in. So at 1203, it's like right there, you know, she prepared a table before us. We're not even asking for it. Like we're not even saying like, listen, this is my expectation. These are my needs. You know, life is hard. I was a college student, you know, like, we got to get this done, you know, like, I need to be back to, you know, none of that. Every week, she had a table prepared before us. Now, I know some of you didn't grow up at Copper Cellar. In your family, maybe your family now, maybe your family growing up, it was not quite like that. Maybe yelling, frustration, bickering, nobody preparing the table, chaos, stressfulness, pain, rejection, hardship. I mean, right, probably not like our go-to thing because it's easy to talk about some nice restaurant with people getting paid to like have it ready to go. Life's not always a fancy restaurant though. What difference does a good shepherd make for David in his dark paths? Well, he made a table. This is why I still can't get my head around it. God sees all this stuff going on in David's life and he says, sit down. I made a table for you on the path of righteousness. 
in the valley of the shadow of darkness, I made a table, sit down. God has prepared a table for you. I think that's the first insight for navigating the dark paths from verse five. God makes a table for his children. And this expresses who he is as a good shepherd. And in verse one, David's clear, the Lord is my shepherd. Verse five, he prepared a table before me. You don't get to the table without choosing the shepherd. You can't get to verse five, of course, without reading verse one. You can't, you gotta have the shepherd at the beginning to get to the table and it takes a while. And I think though, all of you wanna be the guest of honor at the king's table. You wanna end up at the table. You want to be able to say, man, my cup overflows. I'm sitting down while my enemies are all around, but nobody can touch me. It's a hard road to get there. Because David had to go past the green grasses. David had to go past the quiet waters. He had to leave the quiet waters. Like that's the part that starts to be like, but leave the green grasses, leave the quiet waters, good shepherd through the paths. But there's a table. It's better than the green grasses. It's better than the quiet waters. It's God's work to prepare, and it's your work to receive. And with that is the challenge for you and the challenge for me. Will you sit down? Will you sit down? John chapter 1 says, For all of those who believed in Christ, he gave them the right to become children of God. They had to believe in Christ to become a child of God. Will you believe in Christ the good shepherd? Or if you have, when your time comes, will you sit down? It's not what we think about. Now, some of you are quick to say, well, of course I would. Great meal. I mean, it's like heavenly copper cellar, half price. Free, the burgers are free here. Of course I would sit down. But Peter had this weird moment where Jesus comes to him. Peter's been following Jesus for years. And Jesus says, I need to wash your feet. I want to wash your feet. And Peter says, no. No, you can't wash my feet. And Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part in me. Meaning, Peter didn't know this really, but meaning that Jesus is about to start a whole new situation for people who follow him. And if Peter doesn't step over this awkward and go through this difficult process, he's not going to be part of what Jesus is starting to do on the night before he's crucified and in the future. So Peter's saying no, and Jesus is saying, you really got to say yes right now, Peter. Or else the rest of this that I'm planning is not going to include you. And then Peter gets it and he says, okay, fine. Don't just wash my feet. Wash all of me. Wash everything because I need you to wash all of me. And then Jesus says, no, 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 no. You're already clean. I just need to wash your feet. Which is getting at the idea that Peter is already saved. He's already been forgiven for his sins. He's clean, but he does need his feet washed. He does need some work done on his life. And Jesus says, let me serve you to lead you into a new life. Jesus understood our situation. Hebrews 4 says he was tempted in every way, meaning just like you and me, tempted in every way, but he was without sin. So he understands our situation. He gets us, but he does more than get us. He saves us. He changes us. He transforms us. He points us onto a new path in life. He says, if you'll let me be the good shepherd, I'll give you a future in a new way. I'll welcome you to a table. I'll be your friend. I'll be your shepherd chef who sets up something new for you. His leadership is going to provoke us at first or at times to go, no. <laughs> but we need to surrender at those moments. Will you sit down? You have to let him lead you all the way. Even when he says, we're leaving the green grasses. I'm washing your feet. I'm asking you to do something that makes no sense. You have to follow him all the way. And surrender is tough because there are enemies all around. I think this is probably what had to be difficult for David. How do you relax when he says, you've prepared a table, God. You've prepared a table in the presence of enemies. How can David relax? He spent his whole life. I mean, this is the guy who ran at Goliath. Like he went to the river brook, he got the five smooth stones, he got out his weapon. Like he's not like a passive person waiting, like maybe I'll, you know, let me see what my Facebook feed says, you know, like just chilling out. Maybe I'll just read the paper, you know, just, just wait. He's not like close the flaps of the tent. I'm just hanging out want to, you know, hide. We're talking about somebody who's like run at the enemies and attack them. That's his mindset. So how does he do this? How can he relax? Well, I think he knew God's anointed me as king. 
God's given me my role. God's given me my identity. I'm going to rest in it. I am who I am. I'm set apart for the Lord's work. He will guide me into this. I'm going to sit down. And even once he became king, the enemies don't go away. He can see them, apparently, in verse 5. Like, he knows who they are. They're around. They're not going away. And when I think about the fact that his enemies didn't disappear, and I expand that into my own life, it creates a little bit of a spiritual challenge. Because I want to believe that when I'm following him and when I've got him as good shepherd, like the enemies just go away. Like it's just smooth sailing after that. But they don't. They keep reappearing. It's bad memories. It's mean people. It's trauma from childhood or some past experience. It's financial struggles. It's emotional pain. It's all kinds of disappointments. But a table is coming. A table is coming. And we know the enemies continue to be a reality because Satan rebelled against God. He took a third of the angels with him. I don't know how many angels that is, but it's a lot. And they're busy. They're doing their thing, continuing the rebellion that they've worked out. But the Bible says that we can resist the devil. We can put on the full armor of God. We can sit down at the table. The trouble comes because you go to school with people who do not. sit down at the table. They have not sat down at the table. They've not chosen the good shepherd. You work with people who are closer to enemies. I don't want to create problems for you when you go to work or school this week, but we'll just, you know, awkwardly broach that subject. There may be some difficult people in your life this week. That happens. They're the construction crew working on a house. They're the politicians from both sides of the aisle and a middle or whatever else there could be, whatever other spaces there are out there. And chances are a lot of these are just broken people. They've made hurtful choices. They're struggling with something, and they're just kind of a mess personally. Others are, you know, very difficult people and and, and maybe truly an enemy. But what are you to do? What are you to do? Well, this is the part where Psalm 23.5 gets really tough. It's depend on the shepherd. He's preparing a table. The table is coming. Your job is to eat the meal, not start a fist fight. Like fist fights are like bad form at the table. You don't see David go barbarian and like throw the table over and start like attacking people and looking for a weapon and all these things. It's like this is the table God's made. I can sit down and calm down. I can be chill right here. He focuses on God. And I'm not just being cute about David's past. I'm saying like he's able to sit down and say, I do really have enemies, but I'm not taking matters into my own hands. I'm going to focus on God. I think David centered himself. He calmed down. He took a deep breath by saying, what has God done for me? He doesn't focus on what's wrong or what's difficult or those enemies over there or these enemies over here. He says, what's God done for me? Who is God? What has he done? What is he doing around me? I also think, quite honestly, David put his mind on the gifts of God. He said, this is an awesome table. This is an awesome table. I want to drink that. I want to eat this. I want to stay at this table. This is good. I'm just going to focus on the gifts of God, the good things of God. I'm going to know who he is. I've got a chance to eat what he's given me. I'm just going to stay right here and just receive as much of this goodness as I can get. This is what I've been waiting for. This is why I endured the darkness. This is why I chose the good shepherd. Look at this table. Look at this life that I have. It's way better than what else I could do if I go crazy and you know, start fighting people. This is why he feared no evil. This is why he surrendered to God. A table is coming. And these enemies around the table, whatever David had in mind, they're not bothering God. They're not overcoming God. They're not like turning the table over and bumping God's elbow and making him spill the food and like tripping the Lord and the food, you know, none of that. God's making the table and God's completely secure. God's completely able to do what he wants to do. And David's just got to sit down. Isaiah 26.3 says to God, it's a prayer, but it says to God, you will keep in perfect peace the one whose mind is steadfast because they trust in you. Moments like this, David's life, great moment to memorize scripture. Great moment for David to say, you will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast. Not worried about the enemies. Not worried about the past. Not worried about the rest. I'm at the table. I'm at the table. We already talked about this some, but Jesus had a table with the enemy. When he took communion, which Rich reenacted for us this morning, and we participated afresh, 
when Jesus sat down, Judas was at the table. You know, like the bread and the wine are going around. Judas is at the table. And when it's kind of done, Jesus looks at Judas and says, go and do what you came for. Go do the work you have to do. I mean, they were at the table. Like Jesus is the one who's been at the table with the enemy. For us, it's a table of forgiveness. It's a feast of life. It's new life. It's new birth. It's forgiveness for our sins. It's a, it's a, it's a way forward, unlike anything we've ever experienced. But for Jesus, that table was a place of betrayal, a place of abandonment, a place of being set up for death and destruction. He suffered for our sins, our compromised actions, our dysfunctional habits, all our mistakes, all our struggles, all our shortcomings, all that kind of stuff. He took on himself a, an exchange so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be cleansed, so that we could have a new life. He takes all that on, us, on himself to give all that to us at this table. And then we get to sit at the table in the presence of our enemies and go, it doesn't matter what's happening in the rest of the world. It doesn't matter what's happening when I drove in or tomorrow at work or any of the rest of the things that could become enemies or are enemies or have been enemies because I'm sitting at the table. And I'm forgiven, and I'm loved, and all my needs are met, and all the power is available. It was only a few chapters after Christ's death and resurrection that he says, all power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So it's still, it's, it's friendship at the table, but let's remember who the friendship is with, the one that has all power. I want to share something else that relates directly to how you'll live this coming week. Early in Christ's ministry early in Christ's life at the very beginning when he was starting to introduce himself to people and communicate what he was all about he quoted Isaiah 61 and he says to them many things but he says that he's been anointed by the Lord and he has the spirit of the Lord upon him it's this way he was trying to describe to them I have the Holy Spirit on me I've been anointed same word as what David's using anointed given a special role by God and he says this is why I have it, so that I can bring good news, so that I can bind up broken hearts, so that I can proclaim liberty to slaves, so that I can proclaim the favorable year of God and proclaim God's vengeance. He wants to comfort those who mourn so that they celebrate and so that they're glad and they praise God to his glory. This is the insight I wanted to mention today as well. Number two, God's preparation sets up God's anointing. He prepares a table all we got to do is sit at it, but once we sit at it, we realize God's preparation sets up God's anointing. The table of God is a place where you get the mission of Christ. You get your part in the mission of Christ. And I'll make this easier for you or simpler. Like, you don't have to be Jesus. He's already done it. It is a finished work. That's why we say, come and eat. This is the body of Christ. This is the blood of Christ. Like, it's a finished work. That's what Scripture says. It is finished when Christ died. So it is finished. You don't have to do what he did. But he said, look, all authority on our heaven and earth has been given to me. Now go and make disciples. Go and pass this on. He said to, to his disciples at a different time, he said, you'll do even greater works than what I've been doing. And another time he said, you are the branches. I am the vine. Go and bear fruit. Well, fruit just grows, right? So it's just the branch connected to the vine. The vine does its thing. The branch receives, and then the fruit grows. I'm not a biologist. I think I'm pretty close to getting it right. It grows. It happens. It's the vine's job. And by the way, you don't get grapes from an orange tree. And you don't get bananas from a grapevine. Like this stuff, it just happens in the kingdom because Jesus is the vine. And his father's the vine dresser, he says, you know, the gardener, the, the guy cutting it and growing it and pruning it and all that other type of stuff. So you get to be in the mission of Christ. Who's going to be the friend of sinners among Patriots fans? Who's going to shine like a light in the darkness for the TikTok super users? You know, whoever's just like watching hundreds of those a day. Who's going to be living Christ's life among all those people? Women, men, rich, poor, Democrats, Republicans, introverts, extroverts, students, professionals, people at home, people at work, all of that stuff. Who's going to do it? Christ says you are the city on a hill. You can share the gospel with words and actions. You can forgive others when they sin against you. 
You can stay married. You can give your money cheerfully to the Lord and to his work. You can speak the truth in love. You can become like Jesus. To help you make this real, I would just say, what have you heard God say at the tables in your past? I know with a group like this, you've been to plenty of church services. You've heard God speak. You've read the Bible. You've prayed. What have you heard God say at the tables in your past? Out of that clarity comes opportunity. What can you do to obey him? You can be who you are to do your part. Maybe it's helping at Faith Family Kitchen. Maybe it's going to Sky Zone. This is a year when Youth for Christ Cape Cod's taken off, and Emilio and his family, Emilio and Claudine, they've embraced that. They're saying, yes, Lord, but it's really about Youth for Christ Cape Cod becoming something where more and more and more people hear about Christ. It's a team of people going out. This is their year to take off. Maybe that's part of it. There might be a few of you, and I want to be, I want to be honest about this because I've had seasons in life too where I would have, if somebody were preaching to me, I would have just said, I'm running on fumes. <laughs> I'm running on fumes. My cup does not overflow. <laughs> My cup does not overflow. I'm at the table, <laughs> I guess, but I'm not sure. I'm so tired. I'm not sure I can lift my hand to my mouth, you know, like I'm tr- I, I want to be there, but I'm just running on fumes. I am spent. I don't have the grit. I don't have the stamina. I, well, whatever. I don't have the faith. I'm just not feeling it. I hear you. I hear you, and I care about you. Some of you feel more like verse 4 than verse 5, in other words. You know, the valley of the shadow of darkness feels more real than the table. And it, it, it begs this tough question that all of us ask at some point. Why is God taking so long? Why is God, why, why don't I, you know, I'm, I'm feeling the, the desire, but I just, I just don't have it. And I'm, and I'm left wondering, why is God taking so long? Why is this meal, this table, this fellowship, this rejuvenation, this, this rest, this peace, this security taking so long? Well, as long as we're using a food metaphor, it's because the preparation always takes longer than the eating. It's because the shopping and the cooking and the chopping and the finding the whisk, if you live in my house, or the other thing is like, yeah, where is that again? And, and then you find out, like, no, that's the wrong whisk. Like, we don't use that one, you know, and, and you know. So the, the preparation always takes longer than the eating. The good news is that the length of preparation increases the delight. If I was, like, a mathematician or a Ph.D. or physicist or something, we could get, like, a whiteboard up here. That would be kind of geeky but kind of fun to be like, now... <clears throat> You have a chart. We could have a line. You always got to have like a curved line. You know, you've always got to have like a graph or something, right, to make it. But we could have like some kind of like chart and some kind of complicated Y equals M parentheses and got to have some other letters plus and then like another parentheses, which if I remember is like a negative thing. And, you know, and you, you, we could do this great thing. But then at the end, what we'd realize is that the length of preparation amplifies, how about that, amplifies is a nice word, right? The length of preparation amplifies the delight of pleasure. We're asking, why does it take so long? And the answer is in heaven, there's a lot of preparation going on. In the kingdom, God is preparing it, and the length it takes is directly related or magnified or amplified or something by how good it's going to be. Sometimes, either at home or upstairs if I'm here, I'll just like keep lunches here because I wanna, you know, just eat in like an efficient way. Just kinda, you ever been busy? You just like need food now? Whoever that is, like the microwave were invented for people like us. So I have these frozen burritos, you know what I mean? (laughs) Like you have a frozen burrito. I had to read the instructions the first time. I've got it down now. You wrap a wet paper towel around it. You put it in the microwave for three minutes. You take it out. It burns your tongue because the microwave is stronger than you realized. You do two and a half minutes next time. But that first time, you, you peel the wet paper towel off. It's, you know, moist and feels like, oh, this worked. You know, it's not frozen. You take a bite. It burns your tongue. You wait five minutes. You, you know, run cold water on your tongue. And when you're done, like, you're full, but you're not amazed. I mean, it's been 600 calories or 700, whatever. It's, but it's like, you know, and it, I mean, honestly, it tasted pretty good. Like, I like burritos, but it's... It is what it is. But now I remember the meal at my wedding. My wife and my mother-in-law, like many people do, 
wanted to have a great experience at the wedding. And along the way, there are many things I could say about the food. I remember lots of them. But one of the things that I'll, I think I'll always remember is that instead of a groom's cake, my mother-in-law and my wife figured out that you could have a milkshake bar, <laughs> which was, you know, just blenders and ice cream and, like, different things to put in. So it's like you could have, like, a chocolate raspberry milkshake, and then, you know, I'm that guy who's going to get two hamburgers. So five minutes later, I'm like... I want to try like vanilla strawberry this time, you know what I mean? So it's like chocolate raspberry and vanilla strawberry and then it's, you know, whatever else. And then other people get in on it and they can have whatever they want. There's like a table with a bunch of toppings and you just mix it up and the people flip the switches and zzzz, and you got a milkshake. And it was a wedding, so it's like, hey, you know, and it was my wedding. So it's like if I had four sips and decided I was done, well, I'll just have another one of something else because it's a bar, you know, it's just milkshakes going all the time. That's amazing. That's no microwave burrito. You know what I'm saying? Like that's, I mean, I tried to eat the, the, you know, the vegetables and the meat and all the dinner stuff, but part of me is just like, there's milkshakes everywhere. And I just ask for it. Like I just keep asking and I just get, you know, asking you shall receive. And I'm like, I will, you know, I will. Thank you. I'll take one of those. Let's try it with that condiment inside. When we think about why is God taking so long, Psalm 23 starts to become a little clearer. It starts to make sense that there are seasons or moments. I'm, I'm zooming out here on all of Psalm 23. There are seasons or moments when God's like, right here's the green grass. Right here's the quiet waters. Just be here. Just drink. And there's other moments when you're in transition. It's just darkness. It's just difficult. And then he gets to a different place and he says, hey, sit down and eat. Even with the enemies, just sit down and eat. There's sort of this path or this this sort of cycle, maybe, process, journey. I don't know what word you want to use, but in the spiritual life, in the kingdom, there's just this process of this journey, this cycle. And the Lord knows, like, we just need to get you some grass and some quiet water. And then we need to give you, like, a path. It's just a righteous path, get you stabilized, get you going where you need to be going. And then other times it's like, we need a table for these people in a hurry. Table for two right here, you know what I mean? And you think, oh, my gosh, why is my table taking so long? It's coming. It's coming. The head chef, the good shepherd, knows he's getting the milkshake bar ready. But you can't get to the table without the trouble. And you can't get to the table without a long walk. And it's sometimes not always green grass. I don't know why you're not at the table yet. For those of you who are like, I'm out. I'm, I don't have it. I don't, I don't know. I'm a human. But David was able to say, I will fear no evil. I'll be comforted. I'm anointed. A table's coming. I'm following the good shepherd. So for you, keep telling yourself, my table's coming. My table's coming. The good shepherd is the same. You're not David. I'm not David. I'm not the king of Israel. But my table's coming. That's what you can tell yourself. My good shepherd is preparing a table for me. I don't know when I'll sit down, but a table is coming. Now, what do you do when you finally get to the table? Well, be passive. Isn't that just what every preacher has always waited to say? Just do nothing. Like preachers, bosses, motivational speakers, the whole point is to like tell you to do something. And the bizarre part about Psalm 23 is right at that moment when it could be like, and now go do, sit down, be passive. Don't do anything. Just sit down. It's the craziest spiritual truth I've ever come across. Be passive? Sit down? Just eat the food? Really? Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. And the first reason it's crazy is some of us just aren't wired to sit down. I'll just have to let that be. But another reason it's crazy is that we just find ourselves saying, I've got enemies all around. This is no time for sitting down. There are enemies all around. I cannot relax. I cannot sit down. God says, I still have the rod and the staff from verse 4. It's good. Sit down. Sit down. Your job's to eat. My job's to take care of that. So you sit. I'll go deal with that. Another reason we might not do it is, the language, is helped by the language when it says I'm anointed with oil. 
So let your head be anointed with oil. Now, what does that mean? Well, that's language of saying God has a role for my life. David was anointed with oil to become king. Part of being passive is saying, I will let my head be anointed with oil. I will let God clarify that he has a plan for my life and communicate that plan, and I will pursue that plan. And I have to sit at the table to hear that. And to be anointed with oil means I have to sit down. I have to let somebody else put their hand on me. Not, you know, I'm not saying you when you leave today have to do this. I'm just saying somebody else has to like, be involved in that. God has to be involved in that and show me I have this role. And some of us very quickly, myself included, want to go, I am scared of that. I am scared to find out what that is, or if I know what that is, I'm scared to go do it. Because that doesn't sound like comfortable and familiar. Can I get, can, can't I do this thing that feels comfortable over here? Because I have that comfortable thing that I would be good at. We have to sit down and be passive. Christ has promised to be with you. And I know you're probably saying, what will it cost me? Won't it be dangerous? Won't it be really uncomfortable? Probably. Is it okay to murmur in a sermon? Probably. Let your head be anointed with oil. Another let is let him fill your cup to overflowing. Some of us, sort of get this guilt complex. Well, I can't possibly drink that much. It's wasteful. Like, just just give me like six ounces, you know? But who among us, if we have somebody over our house, says, would you like something to drink? Yeah, I'll take a glass of, you know, whatever. Well, I'm going to give you a thimble. We're not going to go back to that guy. You know what I mean? Like, nobody is like that. We're like, do you want some more? You want some more orange juice? Can I make you some decaf coffee? Oh, you drink caffeinated coffee? Hey, whatever. Stay all afternoon. You want more coffee? You want more? You want more? You know, cheese, sausage, crackers, whatever. You know, you're bringing it out. Light up the grill, you know. We We don't say to people like, you know, let your cup dribble, you know. And like part of what we have to get over is at God's table, just just accept that the Father loves you and let him fill the cup to overflowing. And drink it down, you know, have the milkshake and then go, man, ready for raspberries. Let's do that one now. You know, drink it down. You're never going to get full. Like milkshakes can make you sick at some point. You have to stop, you know. You can only have so many like steaks or whatever, but lobsters and all that, you can only handle so much of that. But in the kingdom, you find out it's not only like an endless cafeteria, you know, all you can eat buffet kind of thing, but it's like all you can handle stomach. So you just keep going. Let your cup be filled to overflowing. You're not going to gain weight. You're not going to feel bad afterwards. You can just enjoy it. You can enjoy it. Don't, don't like hang on to the guilt. And looking forward to eternity, you'll be at the table forever. I don't know how to explain this part. It's one thing to think about it now, but you'll be at the table forever. So your cup is filled to overflowing now. You're not drinking out of it yet because you're not sitting at the table with Christ literally, but the day will come when you're at his table forever and the cup will always overflow and he'll just keep bringing more out for eternity. Go figure. I don't know. He just keeps bringing it on out. Keeps bringing it on out. So what does God provide during life's troubles? When verse four leads into verse five and the enemies are all around, what does God provide? A table of friendship, a table of purpose, and a table of abundance. A table where you let your head be anointed with oil, you let your cup overflow, and a table where you find out you've got a friend. You've got a safe place. You've got somebody who says, I'll take care of the enemies. You're at my table. You're my friend. Just stay at the table, and I'll take care of you. I know some of you didn't have perfect dinner tables, didn't have abundance, didn't have purpose, didn't have friendship at the family table or the dinner table or whatnot, or the you know, any other time in your life or at the work table or these other places of our life, but you've got a table You've got a table coming for you. Do you remember the orphanage, the children I spoke of earlier? Mama Lillian, she says, we're running out of lentils, clothes are running short, inflation's terrible. We're just going to pray for 24 hours. Listen to what God did. The day after they've been praying, she gets a telegram. This is 100 years ago. Today's world, she'd get a text message. She gets a telegram. The American ambassador to Egypt sent Mama Lillian a telegram and says, I need to meet with you immediately. Get on the first train to Cairo. So she leaves where the orphanage is in Egypt. 
goes down the road, gets on the train, takes the train to Cairo. She walks in the American ambassador's office. When he finds out she's there, he says, come in right away, come in right away. He looks at her and he says, do you have needs for clothing and food? She's, you know, pretty smart person. She says, yes. Turns out that there was a Red Cross ship off the coast of Egypt. And because of the war, even though the Red Cross ship was a civilian non-military vessel, it got too close to enemy waters and too close to military danger and had to turn back and pulls into the port there in the nearby city in Egypt, pulls into the port, nowhere to go. One of the sailors on the ship has a mother who had previously supported Mama Lillian's work so the sailor on the ship says, my mom knows of this orphanage somewhere in Egypt, and that's a great orphanage. So the sailor goes to the captain, and the sailor says, Captain, you got to get rid of all this stuff and give it to the orphanage. And the captain is like, no. You know, he's a captain. So he's like, i got a mission. We have a plan. We're doing what we're doing. The sailor, despite military sort of protocol and everything like that, says, no, you, you, you got to give this to Mama Lillian. Like, he just won't quit. The sailor believes in the mission, knows how it's helping kids. He's like, you have got to offload this cargo right here. Take it to this orphanage. you got to do it. Well, the sailor and the captain argue and argue and argue and go back and forth and back and forth. Well, the sailor wins, you know? The sailor finally harasses the captain so much or argues so well or whatever that the captain gives in and is like, okay, fine, 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 you know? We'll just do it. Here's what they had on board. The ship had 700 kegs of powdered milk, 1,200 sacks of rice, 2,600 dresses, 1,900 pairs of pants, 3,800 blankets, 1,100 towels, and on and on and on and on. Rest, this is a Red Cross relief ship, you know, just filled with stuff. God's anointing comes with God's abundance. Life has troubles, but life comes with a table. And it's a table of friendship and a table of purpose and a table of abundance. You can sit at God's table and learn a new way of life. I don't know what's happened at the dinner tables of your life before. I don't know about your own sort of stories. I bet you've got stories of God being good, but I bet you've also got stories of saying, this doesn't feel real great. <laughs> Feels like there's enemies all around. What am I supposed to do right now? David sat down in faith. There was darkness, there was enemies, but a table was there. A table of friendship and purpose and abundance. We're going to continue to do what we've done, which is just to give you a few minutes to reflect on what you've heard the Lord speaking to you about today or the things you'd like to say to the Lord, even if it has nothing to do with everything you've heard so far from Psalm 23. And I just put out there a few questions for you to think about. One is, how have you heard God at previous tables in your life? Previous meeting places where you heard God somehow. How have you heard him there? What did he say? What did you learn about yourself? What did you learn about him? Another question, where do you have an opportunity or a desire to serve? Are you a Mama Lillian? Are you that sailor? <laughs> Who's, I mean, some of you are pretty good at arguing, I bet. Like, maybe you need to go find a captain and argue with that captain, you know? Doesn't sound like a spiritual gift, but made a big difference for those orphans, right? What would it be? And one other question, or maybe, maybe kind of has two pieces to it, but if, if God's table appeared before you right now, what would make sitting down hard? We talked about how Peter had a hard time letting Jesus wash his feet at first. What would make it hard for you to sit down if the table appeared before you right now? If you had to stop and let Jesus handle something, what would that be? What would it be like to say, I'm going to let Jesus handle that. I'm going to sit down. And, and what are the pieces in between you and that? I'll be up here, happy to pray, but it's a space for you, a time for you. Time for you to worship, a time for you to connect with the Lord.
Take me back to the garden Lead me back to the moment I heard your voice Take me back to communion Lead me back to the moment I saw your face And it was oh so simple It was easy to
take a moment to thank the Lord and finish our time in worship. We bow before you and we sit at your table through the life, the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ, who sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty forever, a place prepared for him, the one who made a table for us. And you have defeated all the enemies and the enemies we now have and worry about having are ultimately weak little beings that you have yet to fully defeat. But we know that the day is coming as promised by your word that you will make all things a footstool for your feet. That every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord. So we go ahead and we do it right now. Christ is Lord. I pray for my brothers and sisters around me. Would the reality that Christ is Lord become more true in their life this week? Giving them the peace, the security to sit at the table. Some of them need you to go ahead and bring the table and say, sit down. Some of them are there and it's your chance to anoint them with a purpose. It's your chance to show them why they're here, to show them what you want them to do. Others of you just need the friendship and others would rejoice with the abundance. We trust you. We know you have good plans. And we thank you for our time together before you, praising, discovering, growing, healing, smiling, coming closer to you and closer to one another in the name of Christ. Amen.